Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, joined today by my dog nation ally, Scott the Stat Assassin. Scott, tell people what's up. Uh, finally a game to be scared about. All right. Uh, Dr. J is not able to join us for this podcast. He sends his regards. We will still use some of his uh, input in this podcast, but the trio is only a duo for tonight, and it is Halloween evening as we record. Try to get this out a little earlier in the week because the last podcast last month in our first third of the season preview dropped a little late. And I know it wasn't accessible for a lot of people. So trying to get this out, I am still in the middle of a chase for a region championship, trying to win the first championship uh, we've had at our school in five years and trying to win the first playoff game we've had at our school in 10 years. So uh, the grind is real. It's very real. Um, but we're here to talk about UJ College football and preview the biggest game of the year and Arguably the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history with one facing two, which has never actually happened at Sanford Stadium before. And I have to say this while we're starting to talk about Tennessee as an aside, I didn't hate their Halloween uniforms. Yeah, the black worked pretty well. I, I was surprised that it was it was much less obnoxious than I thought. But Scott, you give a quick rundown of the rankings and ratings jumping into the first eight games of UJ season, which I feel like we now have a lot more data points that we can use to talk about what this team is than through the first four games. We basically played mm-hmm. one real team and one kind of real team. Yeah, but we, you know, we did this after the first third of the season. Now we're two thirds of the way through a lot of the things in the first third of the season that maybe looked like they weren't going really well, or maybe they were going great. Uh, time has kind of softened the edges of those a little bit. Um, but so this the last recent four game stretch was the close win at Missouri, which was not fun. Uh, Auburn and Vandy that were blowouts in Florida that was basically a blowout except for like thirty to sixty seconds in the third quarter. Um, but the the big picture view uh, n- number one in AP and coaches, uh, number two in SP plus, number one in FEI, number two in FPI. And all of those pretty much you sort of have uh, in all the analytical ones, you have Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama kind of just shuffled around in the top three. That hasn't changed any. Mm -mm. Uh, In the actual polls, you don't have that because Bama lost to Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of Georgia, Ohio State, and Tennessee that are all real close, very, very close points-wise. Georgia won in both polls. Ohio State, two in the coaches. But Ohio State and Tennessee tied for two in the AP poll. And about 24 hours after this drops, or after we record this, Tennessee will be number one in the playoff poll. Yep, I agree with that. I think we, And then yeah. Ohio State, maybe two. Georgia, maybe two. I don't know. But I suspect yeah. that they'll bump Tennessee to the top for, the, for beating Bama. <clears throat> but anyway, overall, definitely one of the better teams. A playoff, you know, title contending caliber team. And what happens from here is, you know, to be determined. We're just about to, or now into the real grind of the season coming up. What's been better than you expected or hoped? We asked this question about a month ago when we did this. I don't know if anything's changed for you. Yeah, yeah, not really. I mean, honestly, yeah. as far as what's been better or not as good as as hoped or expected, 
it's kind of stayed about about on par. Yeah. I think that the the Stetson Bennett hype that we got at the beginning of the year that we all were kind of like, look, we like Stetson, but pump the brakes through three games. This is not what he really is. And the Stetson that we've known and loved and argued about from the last two and a half years it is the Stetson Bennett we have. A better version of that player, but he's still that player. I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback that is as streaky within the course of a single game as he is. He'll have drives, and I have a group text, Chris Phillip, if y'all listen to this. Well, they'll just be talking about how horrible some of his throws are. But then he'll drop an absolute dime to Lad McConkie that gets dropped or an absolute dime to, to uh, Darnell Washington that gets dropped. And, and mixed in between those are two or three throws where he throws the ball right to the other team or close to the other team. And it's just like – it's like the Stetson Bennett – it's the Stetson Bennett experience we've called it. But, like, it's just the Stetson Bennett experience is – going to continue. Now, the question is this, and then we'll come back to this later. Can Georgia beat Tennessee with the average Stetson Bennett experience, or do we need Oregon Stetson Bennett or, you know, UAB Stetson Bennett to win that game? We're going to come back to that question. But to this point, even the Stetson Bennett experience has Georgia's offense looking elite. And and what I actually have for the offense is really good, not quite elite. But, but that it, well, it depends on where you draw the line for elite, right? Is elite number one? Is elite top three? Is it top five, top ten? Um, you know, just from the numbers, uh, number eight offense from SP plus, number four offense by FEI. So you know, up, about the sixth ish best offense. Very very good. Um, total offense almost five hundred forty yards per game. That's, oh my god. That's first, not yeah. Tennessee. That's first. Look at the um, yards per play. Yeah, 7.3 yards per play. That is second behind Ohio State, not behind Tennessee. Um, scoring offense, 43 points per game. Uh, only fourth, only in compared yeah. to the total offense and yards per play. This is something we did talk about in the third of the season, Mark, right, which is red zone touchdown percentage. Not quite good enough. Okay. Uh, it was 65% last time we talked. Okay. That's it's actually up to, solid It's number. up to 70. Yeah. So it, it's better, but that's we went from like 65th nationally to like, I don't know, 35th nationally or something, right? And just for comparison, I don't know what the good numbers in college, but anything over about 68 in the NFL is like really, really good. Yeah, so I don't know what the comparison it, for that is in college. It, yeah. It's a little easier in college. Yeah. Especially for like the – the elite elite teams, um, you know, for example, Georgia is first in red zone field goals made. Okay. Well, that tells you kind of all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Now part of that is Georgia is also first in red zone trips. Huh? Okay. Wow. And, and that's, I, wow. And, well, that's because the really high scoring offenses, hit big plays. Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio state, a few others, big plays. Yeah. Georgia, mm-hmm. not as much on the big play game. Yeah. Number two in red zone field goals, or maybe tied with Georgia is Michigan. Because they don't have a big place. And I think they're second in red zone trips because yeah. they're a really good offense. But um, so actually, okay. a bit random, really fun stat, very kind of interesting and random. I saw the other day, Michigan has the most scoring drives of over four yards of play. Georgia has the most scoring drives with over seven yards of play. Ohio wow. State, Ohio State has the most scoring drives with over 11 yards per play. And 
It's a fun oh stat God. because it, it tells you exactly, if you kind of know what you're looking at, exactly what you're seeing on the field, which is Michigan. All the teams have good offenses. Michigan does it by just ground and pound. Yeah. And Georgia it does it by mix of run and pass, mm-hmm. seven yards of play, yeah. seven yard run, seven yard pass, seven yard run, seven yard pass, consistent long drives. And Ohio State does it by just big, huge freaking plays. So very different approaches. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I hesitate to give us quite to the elite because the explosive plays haven't been there and the red zone touchdown percentage hasn't been quite enough. Now, the thing is, either of those can get better, can get fixed, and you can, on any given day or for the rest of the season, you can be an elite offense because you're not that far from it. I will cede the point to you. I You make a good – you made a good argument there with the – I don't want to say inefficiency in the red zone, but the lack of efficiency in the red zone of, of high level efficiency in the red zone. Um, because, because I'm just being honest. I look at the yards per game, yards per play. And I'm like, well, that's, that's at the top, but you have to dig a little deeper. Just like somebody shared with me earlier today, that Tennessee has the 82nd rank uh, defense and total defense. I was like, well, yeah, but look at the number of snaps, look at the yards per snap. How many other, how many more snaps do other teams run than Tennessee? Like all these other things. And, Again, it's very true that in college football, and this is different than the pros, in college football, high-level offenses hit big plays. They just do. They just do. And you mentioned a good thing there, talking about how when you see that Georgia averages seven yards per play, that really is what you watch when you watch Georgia. We throw – and you put this in the notes, but as we've incorporated more of the air raid, Setson Bennett's throwing the ball, what – 30-plus times a game on average this season. I don't know the exact number. I know it's over 30 per game. He threw, was it 38 this past week? And people see that number and like, oh, my gosh, that's so high. But so many of those are essentially glorified run plays, quick screens, swing passes to the running backs, catch and runs for Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington that are essentially extended handoffs that really jack up your quarterback rating and jack up the offensive efficiency, but they're not explosive plays. Except for the random times that Brock Bowers – you know, just runs down the sideline for 50 yards and Darnell Washington hurdles someone for 40 yards. And you get those. We got those against Oregon. We got those against other people. But we have an offense that's designed to put you in second and short on first down and then convert with a five-yard run. And that's what we do over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And our 12 personnel package continues to be absolutely disgusting. Yeah, I wish I had the numbers on how much we run 12. I had them up the other day. I can't remember, but it is a lot. And man, let me tell you, our our personnel breakdown is a real short list, David. It's just yeah. eleven and twelve. That's it. Ain't it's nothing. Funny else. We run zero ten personnel because what we do is when we run around ten personnel. We split Brock Bowers out in the slot. Yeah, yeah. And there's our ten personnel. Oh. And um, um, one one thing I think with the offense that has sort of improved a little bit uh, the last few games, especially as the season's worn on. The, the power run game has picked mm, up a lot. Yeah. And and by picked up a lot, I actually kind of mean has just been called a little bit more because there have been some breakdowns kind of showing here's what you average yards per rush zone scheme versus, you know, power scheme, scheme yeah. gap scheme. And Georgia was pretty, you know, I don't know, just okay on the zone stuff mm-hmm. and, and really mm-hmm. high on uh, as far as relative performance mm-hmm. on the gap but relatively low on how often you call the gap stuff. And sometimes that's misleading because sometimes it works because you don't run it and teams don't game plan for it. But as we've 
gone a little bit heavier on the gap stuff the last few weeks. Mm. It's been good. Um, so that's one positive improvement as the, as from the fan side of things, you hope for the offense to round out a little bit more and take that step from really good to elite. Um, there's also the, the AD Mitchell thing. Oof. We don't have enough receivers to miss AD Mitchell. Not with, yeah. And especially with Arian Smith, still not really uh, clearly yeah. not being all the way back. Yeah. He's running go routes and he doesn't look slow, but he's not toasting people. And if you run like a 10 one or less than a 10 one and the hundred meter on the football field, you stand out. And so he's, he's clearly not all the way there. So with, with those two guys out, well, we don't have more depth of, of players to, to be your deep threats other than Bowers, but it's hard for Bowers to be the deep threat out of the yeah. tight end spot yep. and, and also be, Bowers knew all the other stuff, but, and like you mentioned, the, the Stetson experience is the Stetson experience. <laughs> uh, that's just, what else are you going to say? But no QB controversy so far. We have made yeah, it that is true. a long way. That is true. And, and at this point, the easy betting money is probably on not having a QB controversy. Yeah. I would agree with that. So Johnson, this is for you. And what's funny is like, Everybody in UJ, all of UJ fans, and I talked, and, and people that follow the SC are like, well, UJ doesn't run the ball well. We're averaging over 200 yards a game rushing. Yes. Like, and I think earlier in the season, there were times where we didn't run the ball as well. Mm-hmm. And I think also you have the bias that comes from what games people see. Mm-hmm. And so most people that didn't see or have already written off the Oregon game. And then the next game most people watched was Missouri. Where we didn't run the ball well, except for the fourth quarter we ran for 100 yards. Right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. And but people, the, first impressions kind of thing, right? And the big change there was, Scott, heavy, heavy gaps game yep. in the second half. And since then, we've continued to run the play that you, me, and Jonathan have all said is UJ's best run play, which is counter. Um, both counter tray, which is when you pull the backside guard and tackle, and uh, your your typical counter your counter G which is usually a guard and a tie in a uh, fullback or H back which is usually what they use Bowers for both using both those schemes we've been heavy heavy into that last few weeks lots of those carries going to Dejon Edwards who runs that play extraordinarily well yep and it's really easy to pull those tackles when it's Broderick Jones and Marius Mims who really look good out there moving in space yeah those are two really good athletes for their size they're kind of like dancing bears um. Yeah. But it's funny because the last, if I'm my, I think for the last since the Oregon game, I believe we've averaged, or since the Sanford game, I believe last six games we've averaged 200 yards a game rushing. Uh, on the season, we're averaging over 300 passing and over 200 rushing. That's up, yeah, that's what makes which sense. Is, we averaged over yeah, 530 yards a game, which like which is Georgia and TCU, I think, are the two offenses to hit those. It, it's round numbers, right? So those are the teams that are close, I'm sure. Folks, listen to what we're telling you. This is the best Georgia offensive school history by a good bit statistically. And I know it doesn't feel that way watch them because you don't get the explosive plays, but as far as the efficiency in the total offensive numbers, it's really not close. I had someone argue with me that the 2017 team was better, and I was like, 2017 had more star power, and they had explosive run plays, but they didn't average 500 yards a game. They darn sure didn't average 40 points a game. I mean, I just 
people don't want to accept that just because we don't hit 80 yard bombs that this isn't a good offense. What what did the 2017 team average? Because I want to say it was right like 30, now right now it's 43 points. Yeah, a I game. think they were in the 37, 38 range. Still good. Yeah. But it, also we'll we'll see what happens with the some of the stats, right? As you play some of the tougher games possibly in the back end of the schedule. I mean, we I, say I don't think that, it's but, I, I don't yeah. think it's coming way down, right? Uh-uh. But but all it takes is, you know, especially if you go to a conversational game or a playoff game. You get a 21-point game, you drop by four yeah, points per you, game. You get a 21-point game and a 17-point game back-to-back, and that yeah, changes things. But so. I'll be honest with you, Miss State, nah. Kentucky, maybe. Uh, the, Tennessee, well, no, th- that's going to be a 30-point game. Yeah, yeah. The, the hard part about the – well, we'll get into the Mississippi State. And yeah. Kentucky part of the schedule in a bit, but we we can switch over to the defense, which um, has fallen all the way to number two in SP <laughs> plus um, from last year's number one, and is still number one in, in FEI. Uh, reminder: SP plus being a little more play to play based, yeah. and FEI being a little more drive based. Um, total defense uh, and yards per play really struggling at 282 yards per game in seventh nationally and 4.6 yards per play in 12th nationally uh, scoring defense, 12 points per game in third nationally. And the big difference there is that, and this is what my eyes are seeing and the, the statistics back this up. We give up at least one or two explosive plays every game with the exception of the, let me, let me back a track. We've given up at least one or two explosive plays in each of the last five games that happening at starting with the Kent state game. We gave up the big, the long hitch screen. Um, mm-hmm. We, you know, and I don't have to go through blah, 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 but if you watch the games, we're basically that we give up that one 50, 70 yard play that gives a team a third of their yardage and a lot of yeah. times leads to a cheap score. That's what we've been doing. And you just didn't see that last year. But yeah, you, you had it at Kent State, Missouri, Auburn, and Florida. So you had it yeah. four out of five weeks in a row. And, that was what you saw in previous Kirby Smart defenses, like the 2020 defense, which was really good. Tennessee still blew at the top off us for two, for two long bombs. I mean, you just saw teams do that, and they would typically buckle down after that or, or around that and not allow multiple big plays or multiple long drives. But now it's a lot of bend, 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 stop, bend, 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 stop, bend, 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 stop, and then bam, big play. And all of a sudden, they've got, they've got 200 – and 10 yards passing when really they weren't very efficient throwing the ball at all. Yeah. And, and worth noting, most of the season has been without Jalen Carter, the best player yeah. on the defense. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know exactly how much that changes that, but uh, he played some third downs against Florida and had yeah. four QB hurries. And I th- <laughs> so that tells you all you need to know. I don't think that uh, Missouri's busting an inside zone for 40 or 50 yards if Jalen Carter's in the game, but that's just me. No. But some, you know, some of the times have been issues that it wouldn't be corrected by that, such Correct. as the uh, the one good drive that Florida had, where they were finding consistent yeah. success moving the yeah, ball. They were, um, and it's worth noting that you know, like on that touchdown run at the end to Etienne, I think it was a little you know zone read or an RPO kind of zone read setup, and he obviously you know hands the ball to Etienne who just takes the kind of dive up the middle, right? And the linebacker and the safety both step outside to Richardson and nobody mm-hmm. fills that gap. And so that was just a 
blown assignment, but it's a blown assignment from the five or seven yard line that ends up with an easy touchdown. Malachi Starks takes get takes the we call this taking the cheese as a defensive backs coach. Looks at the out route, supposed to get to the go route. He's late, jumps, missed the ball, long touchdown pass. Totally yeah. correctable, but God, Tennessee ain't gonna miss those throws. And we had a few of those. There was open receivers running down the field against in the Florida game, and Hendon Hooker ain't gonna miss a lot of them. I mean, he's playing at as well as any quarterback in the country. He, I will say this about Hendon Hooker: he does actually miss a lot of wide open touchdowns. He does miss some. That's why I say he won't miss a lot of them because I, I, he's he's not Joe Burrow who like literally never missed them. He's not that. He will miss yeah. some, but it's just that Tennessee is gonna keep slinging it. They're gonna like, and they get so many. Exactly. It's, they're gonna keep throwing them and guys keep being open. Like he might miss three touchdown passes to receivers that were open by yeah. five yards, and he might miss them by seven yards. Yeah. But he also might still throw four more long touchdowns. That exactly. Game. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. Like if you watch them, they do miss some, but he's gonna hit more than he misses. And we'll get I know we keep jumping to Tennessee. It's hard yeah. not to get to that. Let's, <laughs> but to finish what you were saying about um the word what you're talking about with the defense. You mentioned the pressures by um, Jalen Carter. And one of the things that you sent, I wish I had the text message pulled up, but you sent me a number on the number of quarterback hurries and throwaways that Georgia had through seven mm-hmm. games. I don't know if you have that number still. It, yeah, but I mean, basically the gist was that after seven games, you had as many QB throwaways as you had last season in 15 games. 15 games. games. Yeah, and and if you watched the games and didn't just look at the sack numbers – you know, it it tracks with what you were seeing, which was a lot of, oh, Bo Nix ran back 20 yards outside the hashes and just chucked it out of bounds. And so did Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler did the same thing. And so did Ashford. And so did Ashford, right? So, you know, um, this was before Anthony Richardson jacked up those numbers. Yeah, (laughs) there's so many balls away. Yeah, so I don't even know what the number is now. It's insane. And and so – yeah, I mentioned that because that is some context that has to come into play when you talk about the sack numbers. Sack numbers have not been great. You would obviously much rather have a loss of 10 sack than a quarterback throwing yeah. it out of bounds. However, if it's on third down, which a lot of these are on third down, it's kind of the same. Like, yeah. sure, would you rather punt fourth and five or fourth and 15? Sure, fourth and 15 punt, but like the punt's the important part here. Yeah, and you mentioned this, and I added this as a note, but um, the, probably the, the negative so far this year, you know, yes, we could get more sacks. The corner play, Keely Ringo is actually getting tested, and he has not been as good as advertised. He hasn't been bad, but he's gotten a lot of – gotten several PI penalties the last few weeks. He's not playing the ball in the well, air as well as we hoped he would. I mean, is he still good? Yes. He's probably still going to be a first-round pick, a late first-round pick. I mean, Eric Stokes was, and I think he's got a lot more physical tools than Eric Stokes. And – Oh, just with his size and uh, his his gonna he's gonna test well, but he's been good, but not quite as good as advertised. And this is really eye popping what you put here about our turnovers: one point one turnovers per game, ninetieth mm-hmm. nationally. Like, whew. I mean, yeah, and and part of that is how teams are playing us, right? Which is quarterbacks just run away and throw it out of bounds. The ball out they around, know yeah. don't try and force this and throw it downfield, right? People only throwing downfield when they're really chucking it and and part of it is the lack of the havoc plays that not having jalen carter which is tied into those yeah. lack of havoc plays and also not having 
four Jalen Carters like you had last year <laughs> to that depth. Yeah, like you had Jalen Carter wasn't even a full-time starter last year. The dude's going to be a top 10 pick, people are saying. This dude wasn't even a full-time starter because you had Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, who are both freaks. Devontae Wyatt was a freak, and he was overshadowed. And Trayvon Walker, the number one pick. And the number one pick in the NFL draft. Didn't even oh, yeah, mention him. He was probably <laughs> your fourth best defense lineman. He was the number one pick in the NFL draft, which is stupid. That's stupid. And yeah. it reminds me a lot of like the 2020, 2019 defenses where we were good. But what kept us from being like 2011 Alabama good was those teams took the ball away. And they also took the ball away and put it in the end zone. Like you remember that Alabama team would go score all those knots, non-offensive touchdowns. And it reminds me a lot of those teams where – we don't get the havoc plays. We don't get the sacks, the strips, the the interception against Florida right before the halftime by Nicobe Dean. Though the interception by uh, Keely Ringo in the national championship game. We're not getting as many of those plays. And those plays, I don't know how stable that kind of stuff is. Those kind of turnovers are, but great defenses seem to make those plays. They just do. Um, one of the things that Iowa has been good at for the last couple of years is you can't run the ball in Iowa, and they turn you over a lot. Um, even though they're not super athletic. So, um, one thing I will add for the the people that get annoyed that uh, you know, we've mentioned SP plus and some of these analytics and stuff like that, and blah blah blah. We mention those because they are tied to football. Uh, in SP plus, one of the things that is tracked is havoc rate. Oh, okay. do, do you know? Do you know when the term havoc rate got popular? When, when Dan Lanning said it in 2020. Well, and even a year or two before, before that, some uh, other coaches yeah. did. But referencing to Bill Conley's SP plus and tracking of havoc rate, because that huh. was his terminology that he just made as a catch-all huh. to include sacks, tackles for loss, passes broken up, interceptions, basically big impact negative plays. I didn't know that. Okay. So, you know, it just just for a little education for some people that we don't mention it just because it's like, Ooh, spreadsheets, like, you know, push your glasses <laughs> up. It, it's because it's tied into actually what's going on and it's helpful to keep track of things because I like to watch football. I don't watch 60 games in a weekend. And I certainly Gosh. don't go back and watch film cutups of 60 college football games in a weekend after no. that. Right. It's not possible. College football coaches can't even watch all that. And they're working 80 hours a week. That's why they have GAs. So, I need a GA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm talking go. about that like I need I'm I need like, to do dishes, dude. You, you, like it's so funny. You watch me at practice, and I'm like, I've I've got like 15 cones, and I'm like, I got three different drills that, would, that require the cones to all be in different arrangements. I'm like, I need a GA to go set my cones up for my next drill and put the football around. I need a GA. Like, anyways, my kids just laugh at me when I'm like, no, guys, we're standing here. What, what which way are we facing? All right, uh, special teams have been good. We're third in SP plus overall. That's all we need to be, all needs to be said. Yep. We don't suck. Yep, um, no major gaffes that have run games. Check. Moving on. So we're going to the tough stretch of the schedule, and the biggest game of the year in the SC is coming up this week in Georgia, Tennessee. And it's a big game because the biggest game of the year previously in Alabama, Tennessee, Tennessee won. So now this yeah, is the biggest not, game of the not year. Not to be confused with the next biggest game of the year, the SEC championship game. Yeah, which I don't even know who's going to play in that. I mean, uh, but anyways, Georgia's favored by eight and a half still. And that's with not knowing about A.D. Mitchell playing, not knowing Jalen Carter's status, and not knowing if Nolan Smith is going to go, and we're still favored by eight and a half. I am actually surprised by that line. Are you? Because you usually aren't, but that's got to be a little surprising even to you. I'm not by the eight and a half. When I checked Monday morning, 
and saw that it was still listed at like 11 and a half or 12, okay, okay. I was surprised. Yeah. I, I think it just hadn't been updated and Dated, moved okay. since counting in the last week's action, including Tennessee at Kentucky. Not because Tennessee beating Kentucky is some super impressive thing because Kentucky is okay, but you're supposed to beat them. Yeah. But it's, yeah. But it's another data point of Tennessee being elite and taking care of business and not screwing up at all, right? Which yeah. is what the top teams do. They're going to yeah, they beat do. teams like it's a Tuesday, like, hey, this is just a practice. We're just working working on deep balls today. Um, so, yeah, I think most of the analytical stuff has Georgia by about six or six and a half on a neutral field, which would mean more like nine or nine and a half in Athens. And so I kind of was always expecting that it would be a point or two shorter than that. Because public perception of Georgia and Tennessee is a little bit closer than a lot of like the the numbers would actually yeah. say. Yeah. Um, so and, I, I wouldn't. And the SEC plus gap is the SEC plus gap is huge. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. it's huge. It's a touchdown and a half. I was like, oh my gosh. And and the reason for that is that as good as Tennessee is on offense, uh, their defense is ranked thirty fourth in SP plus. Mm. Which, like you said, it's not the eighty not, something no, whatever no. from their total yeah, yardage because yeah. that's misleading. It ignores the context. Um, but when you factor in all the context, thirty fourth, it's just sort of in line with like twenty nineteen LSU. That's mm-hmm. what Tennessee is hoping to be. Yes, that's you the know? common comparison. At, their run defense has been pretty decent. Yeah, it has. and so you know they're kind of looking for hey score a whole bunch, a lot of big plays on offense, balance on offense, run the ball, and throw the ball well. They run the ball more than Georgia does. Which is crazy. Yeah. And they run the ball officially. They're not explosive at all in their run game. At all. Right. Right. But they're efficient. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. That's one of the things that you know we saw a lot out of our run game last year was just be efficient. You can get your explosives in the passing game. Yeah, and when we talk about efficiency, I understand we mean like getting the yardage you need is the measure of efficiency in the run game. I forget what the actual numbers was. It was like 50% of the needed yardage on first down, 40% on second down, and 100% of it on third down. I can't remember what the exact. It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's like, like 40, that. 50, 100. But, but basically, yeah. yeah, if it's third and three and you get three yards, that's efficient. Efficient, yeah. If mm-hmm. it's third and nine and you get seven yards, that's not efficient. Not efficient, yes. Yeah, so, so Tennessee is one of those teams that on first and 10, if they run it, they get four yards on third and six on third and fourth. They run it. They get four and a half yards. And that's, that's what we mean. Now, what you don't see Tennessee do is getting 45 and 50 yards in the run game. Now you'll get a hooker scramble or hooker design run. where he'll get a big chunk, but they're not, this ain't 2017 Georgia. And even LSU with Clyde Edward Tiller, he was more than efficient, but he wasn't popping out 50 and 60 yard runs. Cause that's not who he was, but um, they would got, plenty of those in you know the passing game to their two first round picks and they're all SC tight end and their third receiver who's also in the NFL. So yeah, and their record breaking quarterback. Um but what's your general feel on the game, Scott? Do we both agree that we think Georgia is the better overall team? I I do. I do agree. I think you know it's maybe not totally decided yet. I don't know if we've really seen enough, but one of the open questions, right, is exactly how good is this Tennessee offense because Tennessee wants to be 2019 LSU to some degree. 
is their offense really going to be as good as LSU? So that's one of the things that, you know, we don't know the answer to. I know that their talent is not as good as 2019 no, LSU. No, no. that was uh, a historic right. amount of talent, including the offensive line, which people don't talk about enough. Yeah. And the 2019 LSU had perfectly good coaching and scheme. The amount of like coaching and scheme that they had was overblown. And I said that at the time, not that Brady was a bad coach, but people acted like he was the Bill Belichick of offensive coaches overnight. And it was like, hey, wait a minute. They also have real good players. Let's not get too carried away. Like and Sarkeesian Steve- at Bama was good. Yeah. Not the best offensive coordinator in the history of football either, though, right? Um, and Steve Inzminger didn't get enough credit because yeah. what happened when Joe Brady left Steve Inzminger? He did nothing in Carolina. And you're right, Scott. Just the level of talent between these teams, like Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, like these, they're good players. Small's a good player, but I mean, I don't see a Jamar Chase. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You, yeah, you can be a really good player in college. You can be an All-American in college. You can be a first-round pick and not still quite be Jamar Chase level, right? It's yeah. not a knock on those guys. And, and, and Joe Burrow had the best quarterback season in the history of football, arguably college or pro. Like, the dude had 65 touchdowns and I think beat – seven top 10 teams or something. It was wild. It yeah. was something like that. If it, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was like something absolutely absurd. I think he had like 1500 yards passing just against top 10 teams. It was something that's absolutely like off the rails, whatever it was. Yeah. So like hidden hooker is great. I would say he's the Heisman favorite and he's not even in the same stratosphere as what Joe Burrow did. It's right. not even close. Now, and what they do particularly well, you know, that separates them from, that LSU team and, uh, you know, most teams this year, right, is the scheme, scheme right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they, yeah. they're they running, not exactly, but more or less the Art Browse-Baylor kind of scheme. It's that sort of approach, but they're doing it with better athletes than they ever had at Baylor. Hmm. And, uh, you know, for those that aren't super familiar with that, I guess we'll probably cover it real quick. One of the big trademarks of that, is lining the wide receivers up ultra wide, wide and you know, wide with like seven eyes in there wide, right? Yeah. Like way out there. There's some pros and cons to that. And there's some reasons why historically people haven't always done that. Long throws. It, yeah. Long throws. Um, you get too close to the sideline and people think of, oh, the sideline's an extra defender, right? Yeah, hard to throw vertical routes. Yeah. Uh, however, it turns out that the positives outweigh the negatives. Mm. And we've seen this for at least like 10 years now. A lot of coaches still don't do it, but we, you know, Penn State broke it out some against Ohio State and it worked. Um, but anyway. You got, you know, you're, I'm laughing right now because I watched Kentucky try to run cover two when Tennessee's in doubles. And I was like, that safety can't get off the hash and get to the sideline. Like, nope. He'd have to be Ed Reed. He'd have to have two Ed Reeds. And I was like, like they're in cover two. The cornerback, the cornerback carries the vertical as far as he can into his zone, and then he gets a speed out underneath it. And Hinton Hooker throws are freaking laser on the sideline, and the safety is eight yards from making the tackle. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, note to self, never run cover two against Tennessee because you can't cover all that space. Yep. And, and that's mean, one of the big advantages, right, is you spread it out that much, your, your safeties especially, and your linebackers if they have coverage responsibilities. Yeah. That, those players can be involved in playing run defense or they can be involved in playing pass defense. They can effectively, 
they cannot do both. And in pretty much every other scheme in football, that's not true, right? In every other scheme in football, they can at least help out some in both, even if they Mm -hmm. can't fully do all of both. Um, So, you know, all those plays where you get somebody free in a gap and they, you know, get a hit on the running back, but he spins out or what gets away or whatever. Oh, but in that one second, the safety's there to clean it up. Guess what? They're not there to clean it up because they're in the friggin' end zone because it's so spread out. And so the solution for teams like Bama is to take their athletic players who are and play man. Like, so, okay, that's fine. You got Claude McKinstry on this outside receiver. Okay. Oh, but you have DeMarco Hellams on Jalen Hyatt, and that's a mismatch. Now, the question is going to be is UGA going to take the same approach? Are we going to stop the, try to stop throwing at five? and get numbers in the passing game? The answer to that is yes. But what Alabama had to do was play a lot more man, especially on the slot, and their guys didn't hold up. They just got run past. In addition to the one or two blown coverages that you're always going to have against Tennessee because they're tempo, because you're not going to get a call in. Mm-hmm. That's a guaranteed one touchdown a game. Happened to Georgia even last year. But you're going to get one of those a game. In addition, anytime they win one-on-one matchups. And this Jalen Hyatt kid, who's I think caught 26 passes last year, is getting the matchups – and he's winning with speed and just running past people. And we, we mentioned this earlier, but like does not having Dan Jackson hurt your game plan? Because one of the things that you could do is have essentially a dime package with Dan Jackson at safety, make Malachi Starks a nickel backer along with Javon Bullard and have six guys that can run and tackle or really four guys at safety that can all run and tackle and try to match that way. Because Georgia safeties in general are more athletic than Alabama safeties. And and I do have, you know, written down and said before, I do like our safeties more than just about anybody when it comes mm-hmm. to this matchup. Yeah. Right. As mm-hmm. far as safeties that can run and cover and have ball skills, in that sense, our defense matches up really, yeah. really well against Tennessee. It, that's a relative thing, right? Yeah. By really, really well, I mean better than most because None of those guys are as big as Helms. And if you need a box safety, Helms, you know, mm-hmm. is going to hold up to pounding better than both of those guys, at least in theory. Somehow Chris Smith is a plays ridiculously like good tackler. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> but uh, but you get the point, right? Um, yeah, so I really do actually like those guys in coverage as far as safeties goes. That being said, even if your safety is really good in coverage, you don't want them covering seven fifty-yard passes down the field, yeah, and you're going to get that. Yeah, yeah, you're a slot fade, slot go pose. I mean, it's it's coming. And one of the things that you would say would even that up is pass rush, but we just watched the best defensive player in college football do nothing. So against them, I I work with uh, a guy that's a big Alabama fan. Yeah, and before that game, one of the things that you know we talked about, and I told him like, hey. I don't think Will Anderson's going to like touch Hendon Hooker because he gets the ball off before edge rushers can ever get there. The only way to get to him is interior pressure because the ball's gone after two and a half seconds, period. Mm. And in that sense, Carter, even if he's not as good a player as Will Anderson, he's still an awesome player, it's a little bit better of a matchup. If you get that interior pressure and you're in his face immediately, as opposed to edge rushers to take a little bit longer, if it's a three-step drop, like what the heck's the edge rusher doing? Yeah, like you're not beating anybody to the edge. So unless the 
tackle just lunges and whiffs and you get some inside counter or something. But those tackles also know that everything's a three-step slot fade. <laughs> so like they're just yeah. sitting up inside and be like, have fun running around me. And not that Nolan Smith gets a lot of sacks, but he is one of our better edge rushers. And do we know if he's going to play? We do not know if he's going to play. The way Kirby has talked about it, it sounds like he won't play. So I guess okay. he will play. Yeah, I know. With Kirby, like – what do we talk, we talk, we joke about this, but Jordan Davis was day to day for three months in 2020, and you know, well, and he was he was really down on Jalen Carter, extra down on Jalen Carter playing against Florida, and then oh, yeah, there he was, yeah. So who yeah, knows? So. But I will say this: George can beat Tennessee shorthanded, but if I'm betting my life on it, and you're asking me is George going to beat Tennessee, and you're asking me this on Monday, and I'm going to say, if you're telling me we don't have AD Mitchell. We have a limited Jalen Carter. We have no Nolan Smith. I don't feel good about that. And if I had to bet my life on it, I would probably pick Tennessee by a field goal if I had to bet on it today. Um, I think George is better. But I just – there's an easy scenario in this game in which Stetson Bennett has two turnovers, one of them bad, gives Tennessee a short field. They get an extra possession, go up two scores, and we're chasing the rest of the game and come up just short. Like that's not at all hard to picture because if you turn this ball, if you turn the ball over more than once in this game, you might get blown off the field because you cannot give Tennessee extra possessions. And that's probably it all said and done. My biggest thing is Georgia can maybe defend Tennessee for 10 or 11 possessions. If you give them 14, they're going to score touchdowns in half of those. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe not touchdowns on half of those, but it, They'll get a lot of – they'll score a yeah. lot. And and the other thing, too, is where turnovers really kill you, if that happens, you start having three turnovers, Tennessee doesn't throw interceptions. They don't have a lot of Somehow, turnovers. they don't turn the we ball over. Yeah. yeah, we don't force a whole lot of turnovers either. Yeah. So this is one of those things where if you have three turnovers, you're probably minus two or minus three. Yeah. It's probably not if you have three turnovers, but you force some and it ends up even. So in that scenario, turnovers – Huge turnovers, big in any game, maybe a little bit bigger in this one. And as a team that plays one of the slowest paces in college football, I think we're actually number six or somewhere around there in slowest pace. Kentucky's in the top five, also. We're one of the slowest teams in college football, and that is great for what we do and for a team like Tennessee. But here's what happens: is that when you play a slow pace on offense, any empty possessions or turnovers are magnified because you typically are getting fewer possessions in a game. I think we average so, what, somewhere what, just under 11 possessions a game or right around there. Um, Possessions. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Uh, interestingly, we're not nearly as low on the plays per game as we are on the okay. possessions. Okay. Because we have, we have a long bunch drives, of long yeah. seven, eight yards of play drive. So we're average 74 plays a game, which is 38th nationally in Tennessee. Ten- uh, 75 plays a game. So they average one more play a game because they score fast. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, number of drives per game is going to be very different. Yeah. When you find that I'm really interested in finding out how many more drives per game Tennessee gets. And I think overall, like this comes down to, again, my trust for Stetson Bennett. I trust Stetson Bennett to get us 30 points. I don't know if that's going to be enough. I don't trust Stetson Bennett to automatically get us 40 points against a defense where 
40 points should be on the table. I just don't. And if I did, I would pick Georgia. But again, I just feel like there's a high likelihood. And again, whenever you protect a game, you're saying, what is the most likely outcome? Like, you don't know how the game's going to play out. What is the most likely outcome? I think the most likely outcome is that we turn the ball over and Tennessee ends up edging us in a shootout. As as it stands right now, if you tell me Jalen Carter's playing, Nolan Smith's playing, I feel I'm better. Ca- I'm counting on Carter playing a good bit when I think about how the game's going because he played at least a decent bit of meaningful That's snaps true. against Florida. But with Tennessee, you're starting the Nolan at, Smith one scares me, though. Yeah, with Tennessee, you're starting at 31. Like that's like the baseline for them because we've talked about this before. Good defenses hold offenses under their average. They average 43. If you hit a good defense holding them to 31, 34. So let's start at 31 as the baseline and say if you have turnovers or you're bad in the red zone, that you that 31 could quickly turn into 44. And we saw that against the Gators a couple of years ago. Had a couple yeah. turnovers in that game and that snowballed on us into a 44 point avalanche. Um. Yeah. So. So Tennessee's lowest scoring output of the year, uh, thirty-four against Pittsburgh in overtime. So that oh, was 20, okay. 27 in regulation in week two, and then thirty-eight against Florida. So twenty-seven and thirty-eight are the low water marks. Okay. So my baseline of thirty-one isn't too far off. No, but but if you think about it in terms of thirty-one, it's like okay. Can Georgia score 31 on Tennessee? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very possible. I think the over the over under for this game is about 66, which is Is 66. Okay. Way too low for this game. But but it's like you said, right? If that game's 34, 31. Yeah. I mean, that's that's under. Or you have the scenario where somebody one team scores 24 to 28 points, right? If one of those teams is a touchdown lower which totally in play then you know it's very easy you know 35 20 under the thing that scares about this game is usually when georgia has a top matchup like this last few years there was always a scenario in which you could see them blowing the team out with the exception of like alabama there was always a scenario in which you could see georgia maybe not blowing the team out but dominating the game even last year going into the SEC championship, there was a scenario where you could see Georgia dominating the game, and it kind of played out in the natty where you could say Alabama's not going to run the ball. If Georgia doesn't let Jameson Williams and John Mechie kill them, and it helped they didn't play most of that game, then you could see Georgia shutting down Alabama's offense. Well, guess what happened in the natty? Exactly that. In this game, there is not really any realistic scenario I see in which Georgia just dominates the game. I just – it, Win the game, yeah. Yeah, it's it's less likely than any of those scenarios because this Tennessee offense is better than any of those offenses. Yeah. So even in the scenario where you get ahead, you still expect that the Tennessee offense is going to come back and score some points. That being said, if the Georgia offense looks like the offense against Oregon, then oh yeah, good. Then gosh. you might be just ahead by two touchdowns the whole game. Whole game. Yeah, right. that's a good point. That's not the most likely scenario. The offense hasn't looked that crisp every single game this week. But, you know, talking about possibilities, it's a possibility. And just so you know, I, I would say to this point, in my opinion, and we're not going to go through all this, but I thought to this point, these are probably the two best teams in the country to this point. And I think we've all, you, me, and Jay all agreed and we did our own rankings. All of us had Georgia, Tennessee, and Ohio State as our top three in some order. And then – 
line gap, Bama, Michigan, and line gap, Clemson, TCU. Is that pretty fair to say? Yeah, I have Michigan above Alabama based on the the loss aspect. Not oh, yeah, I just meant like as better. far as yeah, tears, yeah. tears. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like, you know, we argued whether – we talked about should Alabama be in that top tier, but they've had some uninspiring wins against teams that aren't very good. And then the loss to uh, to um, to Tennessee, and then you know Georgia and Tennessee and Ohio State. I just they seem to clearly to this point be the three best teams in the country. In whatever order you want to put them in, I put Tennessee probably one because of the, they have the best one of the season, and Georgia probably has the second best one of the season. So I um, give them an edge over Ohio State. So FEI, you know that we like to reference. Yeah, they put out a graphic the other day with the best wins of the season, mm-hmm. Georgia over Oregon, best win of the season, Real, Alabama, Alabama over Tennessee, not on the list mm. Be, because the expected amount, okay. right? Yeah. When, you know, beating a top five team, obviously very good. And on paper, I don't know, Alabama was three or five points better than Tennessee, but is at Tennessee. So on paper, Alabama was, I don't know, favored by one. I forget the exact numbers, right? So they were favored by one. Tennessee won by three, right? A very good outcome because beating Alabama is very, very hard. But Georgia's right? favored by like, what, three touchdowns against Oregon. They won yeah. by seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, so. and that's not even to say that I necessarily even weight the Georgia over Oregon win as being like better than a Tennessee over Alabama win. No, no, no. But, but it's viewed as a really good win by every, by, uh, by every, both emotional. Yeah. Uh, metric. It's a, it's a great win. Yeah. So, and man, this is exciting game, but it's nerve wracking because it's scary. And the truth is this game could bounce us from the playoff. Yeah. It's possible. It could bounce us out of the playoff. Yeah, because they ain't putting three SEC teams in. There'd be a nope. riot, and so if 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 Tennessee if Tennessee wins beats us, you got to root for them to win out and beat a rem- win a rematch with Alabama because right. that's the only way we get in. Yes, and, and in that scenario, we probably get in because you have one loss and you have defending national champs yeah. also there, which doesn't hurt, and hopefully it's a close game or something. Right. If it's not a close game, then yeah. things get a lot more subjective and, and dicey and always depends on what happens elsewhere. Yada, yada. Yeah. Because but. the other issue is the same thing could happen with the Michigan Ohio state where if each, if they play a close game and one of them loses and that's their only loss and yeah. they stay in the top five. Damn. Yeah. Where we get in trouble is if we lose to Tennessee and Bama beats Tennessee in the rematch. Yes. And then they're both we in spots. and we get hosed. Yeah, you run out of spots. You run out of spots. If Tennessee beats us and makes the SC championship game, it's kind of like us last year. There's no scenario, even if they got blown out, where they don't make the no. final four because they've yeah. already beaten Alabama. And yep. so this is a year where if there was every year where I was in, pre- in favor of a bigger playoff to this point, this is the year because you could actually have six teams that could give you competitive games legitimately this year. So – and that, yeah. that, oh, and, or or just a four-team playoff that's actually allowed to pick the four best teams and not worry if three of them are from the same conference because yeah, we all agree, yeah. everybody in the world agrees on who the four best teams are right now. And it's very easy to pick that. And if we're wrong, Michigan and Ohio State will play each other and swap and mm, prove it. 
and we'll all still agree on who the four best teams are, and we will guarantee not pick the four best teams for the playoff. Because the four best teams are from only two conferences. Yeah. And they all play close games to lose. Why not get a rematch with those teams? I see what you're yeah. saying. That's You're not wrong. Well, Scott, we covered a lot. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the game before we wrap up? I don't, I, I don't my, know. It. My thought as of a few days ago, before the Florida game, because I wasn't really worried about winning that game, was I wasn't either. If Jalen Carter plays against Tennessee, we win. If he doesn't play against Tennessee, we lose. lose. That's my line that I draw on the sand. And that was the same line I drew in the sand about Jordan Davis against Florida, and he didn't play. Yeah. You did. So you did. You that. said that two years ago, too. You said, like, but they with Jordan Davis, this game's going to be ugly. So, yeah. I mean, we just, we can't replace that. And, and I think that for us, you know, the key is going to be hopefully not letting Tennessee score in the 40s. Right. Yeah. And that'd be hard to you match. Know, yeah, then it starts to get dicey because then a turnover or two really, really hoses you. Um, but yeah, defensively, it's going to be Jalen Carter wrecking shop on the inside. Yeah, and if you stop throwing at five against Tennessee and you make lots of second and tens and third and nines, you've got a better shot. <laughs> right, a better and, shot. and like we said, they take deep shots and they miss a lot. Yeah. If they only get one deep shot on the drive because yeah. yeah. Because it's you stuff the run in a second and eleven and then Jalen Carter's in a hidden hooker's face and he has to throw it away. You get one deep shot. Maybe you hit it, yeah. maybe you don't, but you don't get four deep shots on the drive because of so many plays. Um it, there's still a lot of uncertainty around that because AD Mitchell playing or not playing, yes. very impactful. Very Nolan, impactful. Nolan Smith playing or not playing. You want to talk about defending the run without committing extra mm-hmm. numbers to it. He's Nolan a demon Smith, in the run game. Yes, absolutely. And so we don't have somebody else that's going to play the run like he plays it at that size, at that position. Yeah. Oh, that also will run a 4-5 and chase down Hinton. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So that's huge. No clue if he's going to play or not. Um, yeah. Not quite as impactful as some of those uh, Amarius Mims. Mm-hmm. We still have two really good tackles and – you know, pretty good depth of the offensive line if he doesn't play, but he has been playing a lot and we've been pulling these linemen and that boy can move. Yeah. So that's of those four guys. I think that's, he's the fourth on the list of how much, how impactful his amount or level of play is, but it's not nothing. Um, You know, we mentioned last year, 17 points. They're scoring more than 17 this year. Oh yeah. It's better than last year. Yes. yes. Our defense isn't as good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people need to go ahead and unwad them panties right now. Like They're <laughs> going to score some points, right? Yeah. 24 points would be their worst of the season. If you keeping them below 30, that's a very, very good outcome. If they score 24, we win. They're hands oh, yeah. down. Hands down. Right. All right. All right. Well, Dog Nation, we're predicting a Georgia win if we're healthy, and we're really worried if we're not. So... <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This has been Dave Bethay and Scott the Status Aspen for the Title Run Sports Podcast. Scott, tell the people adios. Go dogs. That's it for today, and thank you for listening. <laughs>